Welcome to the Bethel World Outreach Church Podcast. It's our prayer that wherever you are in life, today's message will help you draw closer in your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. Father, we thank you now for the opportunity to share your word, to be a vessel and instrument by whom the Holy Spirit speak to us, but speak to every man and woman who is listening. We believe that Jesus will be revealed. We believe, Lord, that our lives are going to be transformed. We believe, Lord, that men and women, boys and girls will get saved, and that those who are saved will become more committed. We believe, oh God, that your power is in your word, and even as it is being spoken, people's lives will be radically transformed for your glory and needs will be supernaturally met by your power. So be it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, I love the Word of God and I am privileged every week to have an opportunity to share what God is sharing with me with you you know, the scripture says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There is nothing more critical to our spiritual growth and prosperity and to our life in general than understanding and applying God's word to our lives. Every word of God is sent to us to build us up and to deliver our inheritance to us. And so today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 to verse 14, where Jesus relates the kingdom of God to a great wedding banquet, wedding feast. And he reveals to us some very, very important life principles that have been eternal consequences. And so, pay close attention. Matthew chapter 22, beginning verse 1. Now remember last week I spoke to you from another parable. It was the parable of the, of the ten virgins. And we told you some things about parables and how to apply them to your life. And I just want to reiterate a few things. Now listen very carefully. A parable is a story that Jesus tells in order to reveal a spiritual truth. He'll tell a natural story, one that is familiar with his immediate audience, the Jewish people that he was speaking to, in order to communicate and make clear some spiritual truths. A parable, however, has one main point master is trying to make. And so you need to understand what the main point is. There are other lessons that you can glean from a parable, but you have to be careful when you try to spiritualize everything in the parable. Because many of the details of a parable are simply put there to facilitate the story that is being told. Not everything in a parable has a spiritual meaning or needs to be applied spiritually. 
and being able to distinguish what is there simply to facilitate the story versus what is there in order to make a spiritual point is key to rightly dividing the word regarding parables. Many times in parables, there are some symbols used. And it's, it's important that we understand what those symbols mean. However, again, be careful with that. In some parables, Jesus actually tells us what the symbols mean, and of course when he does that, we can be absolutely certain what they mean. Other times, there are certain things that he uses, such as uh, in this story, he's going to be referring to the king, he's going to be referring to the, a marriage with the son. Well, we know because the Bible uses those symbols in other places, we can be very comfortable in saying that the king in this parable represents the father, and of course the son is Jesus. So when the Bible gives us the interpretation of the symbol, because the Bible uses that symbol quite consistently in other places where it's clear, then once again we can be pretty sure when we say this means that, or that means this. However, when the Bible has not given us the meaning of the symbols, or when Jesus has not clearly explained the meaning of the parable. You have to be very careful how you assign meanings to symbols. You can keep in mind that many of the things in a parable are simply there to facilitate the story and doesn't necessarily have any spiritual application. There are times when Jesus will exaggerate things for effect. But you need to know what he's doing there. Now, Lastly, in applying the, the parable, you have to apply the parable or the meaning of the parable to your life or to your audience in such a way that you do not violate any Bible doctrine in, do so, in doing so. You do not determine or decide Bible doctrine from a parable or from a story in the Bible. Parables and stories in the Bible are there to illustrate doctrine, to make doctrine more understandable. They do not establish doctrine. And so for instance, last week when uh, we read about the foolish virgins and the wise virgins said to them, go and buy oil yourself. Now we know that oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. But you cannot therefore say, look, in order to have the Holy Spirit, there's a price you have to pay. Why? Because that violates the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith and a doctrine that the Holy Spirit is a free gift. We cannot buy the gifts of God. So here's that would be an example of how you cannot establish doctrine from a story or a parable. You can illustrate a doctrine that is clearly revealed elsewhere by that parable. Again, I share these things with you because you need to know them so that you can rightly divide the word of God because there are many other parables that you would read and you hear people preaching and teaching and you need to be able to say, wait a minute, he's trying to develop a doctrine based upon this parable, but what he's saying contradicts Bible doctrine, therefore his interpretation cannot be right. Keep that in mind. All right, now let's go to the parable. 
Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, verse 1, he answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. And he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle and killed all, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they, notice their response, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up the city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those whose servants went out into the highways, those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on wedding garments. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him, hand and foot, take him away. And cast them into utter darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here is the conclusion of the parable. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Are you among? The chosen. Will you be among the chosen? Let's see how the parable helps us to answer that question. Jesus began by saying the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king having a wedding feast or a wedding banquet celebrating his son's marriage. Now, the, the, the expression kingdom of heaven does not refer to the heaven we all want to go to when we die. The kingdom of heaven is a reference to the reign and the rule of God even now. The kingdom of heaven is a description or an expression that Jesus uses to identify the reign and rule of God and what it means to live with God as your king now. You're in the kingdom of heaven. If you are living your life right now under the rule of God. If you're living right now with God as your king. And with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You are right now in the kingdom of heaven. Remember Jesus said to John. In John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, except you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. 
it is through the new birth. And so anyone who has experienced the new birth, who has been born again through their faith in Jesus Christ, is even now in the kingdom of heaven. So again, the kingdom of heaven is not that place you go to when you die. It is living your life now with God as your king, under and submitted to his reign, and with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And so, Jesus says, life with God as king, life with Jesus as your Lord and Savior, is living in the kingdom of heaven now. And living in the kingdom of heaven now is like a marriage celebration. It's like a wedding celebration. Now, when you think of a wedding celebration or a marriage banquet, what images come to mind? Probably images of joy and happiness, of dancing, of feasting. It's a, it's a joyous, happy celebration. That's the image that comes to mind. And that's the image we have of heaven. When we die, one of the reasons we want to go to heaven is because we have an image of heaven where there's celebration, there's joy, there's happiness, there's peace, there's dancing, there's singing. Heaven is a happy place. Heaven is a joyful place. Indeed it is. That's why I want to go there when I die. But what Jesus is saying here is that we don't have to wait until we die to start to experience the joy of the kingdom. That salvation itself is a call to joy. Salvation itself is an invitation to rejoice. Salvation itself is an invitation to celebrate. Salvation itself is a joyous experience. He does not invite us to a funeral. Salvation is not a funeral. It is likened to a wedding. And so the call to salvation is a call to joy. It's a call to celebrate. It's a call to happiness. It's a call to peace. Hallelujah. I don't have to wait until I die. Jesus said, no, 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 no. The celebration has already started and right now, while we still live in this world, God is inviting men and women, boys and girls everywhere to join in the celebration. Hallelujah. We could say it this way. Hallelujah. It's a party for your spirit. Amen. He's inviting you to the party. Amen. Where you can celebrate and your spirit can celebrate with God, and with the Son. Hallelujah. And so the invitation is sent. Salvation It's a call. It's a call to celebrate. But what do we celebrate? What is the celebration all about? Well, again, in the parable, Jesus tells us the celebration is about the marriage between the Son and his bride. The Father is celebrating the Son. The Father is celebrating the marriage. The Father is celebrating the love that exists between the Son and the Bride. The Father is celebrating all that the Son has done on behalf of the Bride. It's a celebration of Jesus. It's a celebration of his Bride, the Church. 
It's a celebration of this wonderful love that exists between the son and his bride. We have been invited to participate in this celebration of the son, in this celebration of his love for the bride. Hear me. This is salvation. And this is the invitation in the kingdom of heaven, living in the kingdom of heaven today with God as your king is a celebration. And we see that the celebration focuses on Christ. You see, Jesus is the one that we celebrate on a daily basis. In salvation, in the kingdom of heaven, everything is being focused on the Son, on his person, on his works, and on his tremendous love and sacrifice, which he has done on behalf of the bride, the church. We celebrate, and it should be a daily experience. Every day, we are called in the kingdom of heaven with God as our king to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate his person, to celebrate his goodness, to celebrate his love, to celebrate his love for the bride, the church, to celebrate that relationship. And, hear me, at every wedding, there is food. Lots of food, certainly at a royal wedding prepared by a king. So this invitation to celebrate is also an invitation to feast. When the servants went out, they specifically were told to tell the invited guests that everything was ready. The oxen had been killed. The fatty cow had been killed. There was a feast that had been prepared. And so they were being invited Unto the celebration, but there will be a lot of food already waiting for them to feast upon. Apply that spiritually. That invitation to salvation, to celebrate, comes with an invitation to feast. To feast on all of these spiritual blessings that God has prepared for us in Christ. Feast on his love. Feast on his peace. Feast. On his joy. We can feast on Christ and feast on the spiritual blessings that are there and feast so much that these blessings begin to overflow. So I feast on the love of God to the degree that that love begins to flow outward for me. I feast on the faith of Jesus to the degree that that faith starts to, to overflow in my life. I feast on his peace. To the degree that that peace starts to overflow and starts to show up and starts to manifest outwardly in my life. This Christianity that we have been invited to participate in, this salvation, this kingdom of heaven, this life lived under God as king in relationship with Jesus as our savior is a celebration and is a feast every day. You and I get to feast on him, to feast on his love, to feast on his faith, to feast on hope, to feast on joy, to feast on spiritual blessings. And to do so to such a degree that that which is happening in my spirit begins to overflow outwardly in my life. And I begin to walk in that faith. Walk in that love to the degree that I start loving my neighbor as myself. I start loving my enemies just like he does. I start to walk in that faith to the degree that I start to 
experience the same kind of miraculous results when I speak. I walk in that peace because now I fed on it by feeding on him. And now, even in the midst of trials and tests, just like he was able to sleep, I can sleep. Just like Peter was able to sleep in the prison, even though he was scheduled to be killed the very next day. You see, when we feast on Christ and we feast on the spiritual blessings that we have in him, we begin to manifest those things in our very experiences. Christianity then truly becomes a celebration of all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, the invitation to ascent, not to a funeral, to a celebration, but sadly, sadly, as Jesus related in the parable, those who were originally invited, those who had gotten the invitations and had actually maybe even sent the RSVP saying they were there, when they were going to be there, when the wedding was about to happen and the celebration was prepared to begin, they were not there. The, the hall was empty. And so the king had to send his servants to them again and said, listen, the invitation that was sent, you are SVP. The celebration has begun. The food is ready. The feast is prepared. You need to come. The scripture says some of them showed little interest. In fact, no interest. You know, some of them said, you know, I got, you know, I'm doing some work on the farm. I can't make it or you know, I'm, I got some business I'm doing right now. I won't be able to make it. And one by one, these invited guests simply treated the invitation of the king to the wedding feast in honor of his son as though it was nothing. They just were treated it as, ah, not important. Got other things to do. Now hear me. Is that how any normal person responds to an invitation from a great king to attend a royal wedding? Come on, just recently we had the wedding with Harry and Meghan. My, my, my. Did you see the guests that were there? Who's who? Oprah Winfrey and all of these people. I wasn't invited. You weren't invited. But if I had gotten an invitation, listen, I would not have said, let me check my calendar. And see if I had time. Whatever was on the calendar was going to be rescheduled. Because an invitation from a king, an earthly king, to attend a royal wedding such as that would have, it would have become a major priority for me. I was going to rearrange my schedule in order to be there. Now, that's how people respond to those invitations. If the President of the United States was to give you an invitation to come to the wedding of his daughter at the White House, I doubt if you say, well, let me see if I can make it. No, you would rearrange your schedule. You would make it a priority because for you, that would be such an honor, such a privilege that a king or the president would invite you to such an auspicious occasion. Yet sadly, sadly in this parable, the invitation is sent out from not just a human king because this human king here represents God. In the same way these people are responding to the king in this parable, so many respond to God's invitation in this matter. Uh, got other things to do. Don't have time right now. Got other priorities. I'm working on this, 
I'm working on that. Can't make it. Do you know who this invitation is from? Do you know what you have been invited to? Do you know what you're missing out on and for what? Earthly things? Temporal things? Things that can be taken away from you just like this? Things that have no eternal value and significance? You're going to dismiss and treat as unimportant an invitation from God to receive salvation? An invitation from God to be present at the wedding feast of the Son of God? And you're going to dismiss that? What a tragic mistake. What foolishness. No, no, no. What you would do if you got an invitation to the royal wedding of King Harry or whoever the next royal uh, uh, marriage will, will be for? Far more should you now be responding with urgency and with joy and with a sense of honor that the king of kings who reigns and rules over the universe has found it in his heart to extend an invitation to you to be present at this wedding feast that has been prepared for the sun in celebration. Hallelujah. What have you done with the invitation? Now, in this particular context, you've got to keep in mind who Jesus was speaking to. He was speaking to Jewish leaders. And he was speaking to Jewish leaders who had rejected him. In fact, if you read in Matthew chapter 21, he was speaking to the Pharisees and, and those leaders and, and, and high priests and those people who were confronting him and challenging his authority and accusing him of being a son of Beelzebub and who didn't want to listen to him. That was the original audience. In a sense, what we're reading here is someone else's mail. Amen? Everything in the Bible is there for us, but not everything was originally spoken to us. And so to understand how to apply it, we have to take into account the audience that it was originally spoken to. We're reading their mail, and as we read their mail, we're looking for the principles that apply to us. So this was spoken to these Jewish religious leaders who represented Israel. And what Jesus is saying, here you are, you're rejecting me, but that's not strange, because God sent the servants in the Old Covenant, God sent prophets. And over and over again, not once, not twice, but over and over again, God sent prophets with his word to speak to the people, and they simply dismiss what we're saying, they simply ignore what they're saying, they just uh, treated it as though it didn't really matter, and you're doing the same thing to me. You're dismissing me. You're dismissing the word I brought to you, just like your fathers did. And then Jesus talked about the second group that actually went beyond simply dismissing what was being said, but actually began to attack the servants and kill. So some of the prophets were actually killed by people, uh, religious uh, Jews, who rejected them at that time. And now, they're doing the same thing to, to, to Jesus. Remember, they had just killed John the Baptist, and they were already preparing to have Jesus killed. So the original context for this message is he's speaking to those Pharisees. He's speaking to those religious rulers who are rejecting him and treating as, 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 as totally unimportant the words that he's speaking to them. But now, 
It was what he was saying to them. What is he saying to us? Because here I mean, sadly, and this is unfortunate, it's not just the rank sinner and unbeliever and atheist that treats uh, his word, his invitations, as though they're not very important, as though, well, there are other things that are more important than this. I'm, I'm too busy to really give the time or to make the time to take care of this. How many times does God speak to me or speak to you, those of us who are even believers, and we treat the word of God, we treat the message that God gives us as though it's not very important. These men in this story who were invited and therefore uh, ended up losing the opportunity to be with the, 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 the bridegroom and to celebrate with the bridegroom and with the king, it was not so much their actions that ended up disqualifying them and keeping them out of the kingdom of heaven and, and, and away from the celebration. It was their attitude. Jesus said, Jesus didn't say that, you know, they really went out and cussed and, you know, there was that one group that did that, but the others just simply didn't have time. Didn't, it wasn't important. It was their attitude, that attitude that treats the things of God as though they're not important, that attitude that treats lightly God's word, that attitude that causes you to not give priority to Christ and the things of God, that attitude will cause you to miss out on so many blessings that are in the kingdom of heaven for you. That attitude will cause you to miss out on your destiny, on fulfilling your purpose. That that attitude will cheat you of so much that you can actually walk in within the kingdom of heaven now. Hear me. One of the, the major points being made here by Jesus is that we need to treat the kingdom of heaven with priority. And we need to pay attention and value every word, every invitation that comes from God. We cannot permit ourselves to prioritize earthly things, even if they're not sinful. We cannot permit ourselves to prioritize earthly things over the kingdom and treat lightly the word of God. We cannot simply dismiss God's word and dismiss God's servants. So many people do that. The servant of the Lord brings a word from God, and we simply dismiss it because we'd rather do something else or we want to hold on to our opinion so we don't take seriously what is delivered by the servant of the Lord or by the Holy Spirit directly to us or by the scriptures directly to us. We simply have this attitude that, you know, this is my opinion and I'm not going to take seriously what God's word say. I certainly won't take it seriously enough to change my plans and to change the way I, I have planned to spend my life in pursuing the things I want to pursue. No, no, that's, that's just too much. I don't have time for that. Hear me. Let that not be true of you. Let it not be true of me. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You and I need to prioritize the word of God. We need to have an attitude towards God's word that says, you know what? I'm listening. I'm learning. And whatever God is saying to me by his spirit, through the scriptures, or through his servants, if it's God's word, I am going to prioritize that, and I'm going to allow the word of God to have first place in my life. 
I'm going to change my attitudes, my actions, and my plans based upon the word of God. That is what it means to live in the kingdom with God as king. And such decisions, such an attitude does not lead to sadness. It actually leads to joy. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not righteousness. It's not uh, meat and drink, excuse me. But it's righteousness and it's peace and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. That is the result of seeking the kingdom first. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all of these things will be added to you. You see, when we prioritize the kingdom, when our attitude is, you know what, God's first, God's word is first, my plans, my ambitions, all are going to be subject to God and God's will for my life. When our attitude is, I'm going to put the kingdom of God and spiritual things first in my life and everything else will fall in line. Hear me. Then we begin to experience the celebration. We begin to experience the joy. We begin to enjoy the feast which salvation is. We begin to manifest outwardly all that God has put on the inside of us in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. There's another group that were hostile and actually killed the prophets and killed the messengers. Now, that is happening right now all over the world. There's people who are hostile and killing servants and they're killing Christians. But for us here in the West, it's not the hostility towards God's servants to the point that we're ready to kill them because most of us won't do that. What we need to watch is that nonchalant attitude, that, that willingness to simply dismiss God's word, and dismiss God's servants because we want to hold on to our own opinion or we want to basically continue to pursue the things that we have considered important. Unfortunately, too often those things that we have prioritized and considered important are things that have to do only with this life. And, it, and we do so at the cost of spiritual growth and of glorifying God. Let that not be true of you and me. Now, the parable shifts. So really, it's almost like you got two parables in one, but or two sections in one parable. It shifts. Jesus then turns and he says, listen, servants, I want you now to go. I want you to proclaim this invitation. Take it everywhere. You know, just invite everybody. What Jesus is talking about is that shift. Since the Jews and Israel was the ones that he had chosen first and he had sent the invitation to first, he gave them the opportunity to come first into the kingdom of heaven. But because so many rejected it, he now says, you know what? Let's go ahead and invite the rest of the people. And so he sent out his servants and said, go and invite everybody. The Bible says they invited everybody, good or bad. It didn't matter who you were. Everybody was invited. And, and many who were invited responded to the point where the scripture says the banquet hall, the wedding hall was filled. Of course, at this point, Jesus is now talking about the focus of the gospel on Gentiles. The gospel now is being sent to the whole world, not just the Jewish people. And now the invitation has gone out to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, that's you and me. And billions of us have responded. And that's why today the church is still the largest, quote-unquote, Christianity is still the largest quote-unquote religion in the world, though we don't like to use that word. But that's because this gospel invitation has gone out. The disciples, the apostles were faithful. They proclaimed it. They committed it to faithful men who proclaimed it. The servants of the Lord obeyed. They proclaimed the gospel on the day. Billions of Gentiles have accepted Christ, and now they are experiencing salvation. They 
They are present at the wedding feast. Hallelujah. Thank God. Thank God for the free offer of salvation. But then there's a twist in the story. Because the scripture says the king came out to greet the guests and he noticed there was one guest among them who didn't have on the proper wedding attire. Now, again, you got to understand the original audience and why Jesus is using this as part of the story is because back then it was customary. If you were coming to a wedding, a king was having a wedding, there was certain attire that was uh, provided, that was expected. In fact, sometimes the king himself would provide the attire that is to be worn. So certainly in this case, since the invitation has been given to the poor and the needy, we can safely assume that the king himself provided the proper wedding attire because you wouldn't expect a poor man to be able to afford a uh, uh, tuxedo, right? So we know that the king provided not just a meal, but he provided the actual wedding attire. And so everybody was given the proper wedding attire. But this one guy decides to show up, and he's going to be wearing something completely different. He wants, now here it is, Jesus introduces this in order to show that there are those who want to have a relationship with God, quote unquote, but they want to have a relationship with God on their own terms. Okay, instead of coming to God, on the terms that God has established, instead of responding to the invitation in the manner that God has instructed us to respond, there are some people who want to have their own quote-unquote relationship with God, come to God on their own terms instead of on His. Now, God will not accept that because the scripture declares there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. The scripture declares, but God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The scripture says, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. The Bible declares, by grace are we saved through faith, and not of works. It is a gift of God. And, and, and so, Unless we're willing to come to God on his terms, respond to the invitation in the manner that God has required, which is to believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that Jesus Christ arose from the grave. It is to believe that salvation is by grace through faith. It is to accept his righteousness and be clothed with his righteousness instead of trying to produce our own righteousness through good work. Unless we're willing to come to God by faith through Jesus Christ and be clothed with his righteousness, which is given to us by grace, we will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. So those who are trying to identify with the kingdom, claim to be in the kingdom, have deceived themselves that they qualify to be in the kingdom, Based upon their own works, hear me, this parable is saying it will not work. If you try to come into the kingdom of heaven any other way than through Jesus Christ, if you try to produce any other righteousness other than that which is given to you freely by God through your faith in Jesus Christ, you will eventually discover that you 
are not able and you will not be accepted and you will be rejected. And so in the story, sadly, the Bible says the king gave instructions and said, listen, tie him up and cast him out into utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is the point Jesus is making? He's making this very important point that if you reject the light, the only thing left is darkness. I mean, if I offer you light and you say, no, I don't want it, and you cut it off, where do you end up? In darkness, outer darkness. So when we reject the light, which is Christ, there's no other option but utter darkness. God says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth there. Because if you reject the, the good, you end up with the bad. You cannot reject the light, which is Christ. You cannot reject the good, which is Christ. You cannot reject the salvation, which is by grace through faith, and still end up with the light of truth and salvation. You end up in outer darkness. That is not what the Father asks for you. That is not what the Son desired for you. God has made provision. You don't have to come up with your own tuxedo, so to speak. You don't have to come up with your own righteousness. It's already prepared. It's a gift, but you've got to humble yourself and be willing to receive it. Are you hearing me? If you have not humbled yourself and received that gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus, you will spend eternity in outer darkness. There will be gnashing and of teeth and weeping. That is not the will of the Father. That's why he sent his servants to invite you to come to the wedding, to participate in the celebration of his son and the bride. That's why he wants you to be a part of that. And he's made provision in Christ for you. Will you humble yourself? And will you receive that gift of salvation today? Will you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Will you stop trusting in yourself? Stop trusting in your own works. Because your own works are filthy rags. Your own works cannot save you. Will you today hear the voice of God and receive Jesus into your heart as your Savior and as your Lord and be clothed with his righteousness? parable ends with these words. Many are called, but few are chosen. The invitation is to everybody, but only those who will humble themselves and receive the gift of righteousness, be clothed with Christ as that righteousness will be chosen. Only the man or woman who accepts the invitation to believe on Christ will be saved. Will you be among the chosen? It depends. It all has to do with what you do for Jesus. Now, before I break this one and let me speak to us who have already accepted him. I don't want you to miss this. 
In one sense, this is an evangelistic message, but it's also a message to you and me who are already in the kingdom. Watch your attitude towards the word of the Lord. Watch your attitude towards his word. Watch your attitude towards his kingdom. His word must be the priority. His instructions must be your priority. You cannot afford to have an attitude that simply dismisses or treats with little importance the kingdom of heaven, the words of the king. What is God saying? Is the telephone ringing from heaven and you are refusing to answer because you are too busy and you want to take care of some other things? What has God called you to? Besides your eternal salvation, what else is God calling you to? What is God inviting you to do with your life? What is God inviting you to do with your time? What is God inviting you to do with your talents? What is God inviting you to do with your treasure? As you participate in the celebration, what is God inviting you to do? And what's your attitude towards that invitation? How long are you going to put other things first? How long are you going to dismiss its invitation? When are you going to start to give priority to spiritual things and to God's word in your life? You're missing out on God's purpose. You're missing out on the joy and the peace that will be yours. Just because you haven't decided to listen and to act on His word. May God today give you that grace to do so now. Jesus. Thanks for listening today. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. To learn more about Bethel or to support this ministry financially, please visit us at www.bethelcityofhope.com. You can also connect with us via Facebook or Instagram at Bethel City of Hope. Thanks again. Have a great day.